0: When your kid asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, the most important sentence you can utter is, I don't know, but I'm going to go look that up or ask someone.
1: Welcome to It's Not Human Sexuality, the show that goes beyond sexuality to reproductive health. Understanding the foundations of reproductive health allows you, and the ones you love, to make better decisions about your health, mind, and relationships. This podcast is co-hosted by Dr. Betsy Cairo, or Dr. B, and Mandy Johnson. Dr. B has her doctorate in human reproduction and is a board-certified reproductive biologist. She is also a certified sexuality educator with supervisory standing and over 20 years experience teaching at the graduate and undergraduate level. She is the owner of the only commercial cryobank in Colorado and is the executive director of the nonprofit Look Both Ways. Her nonprofit specializes in reproductive health education. Mandy Johnson is a high school family and consumer science teacher with more than 15 years experience and a master's degree in education. She is also a certified sexuality educator and is treasurer on the board of Look Both Ways. The two have been friends for many years and are passionate about changing the way we educate our youth about their reproductive health. Welcome to the latest episode of It's Not Human Sexuality. I'm
2: Mandy Johnson and I'm Dr. Betsy Cairo or Dr. B. With us today is Dr. Cara Natterson, renowned pediatrician, New York Times bestselling author and the co-founder of the new puberty brand Umla to create products
0: for all people. Um, and it really doesn't matter, um, what your gender identity is.
2: Inspired by their daughter's adolescent experiences and dedicated to making body changes more comfortable, Dr. Natterson and her co-founder, Julie Fontaine created UMLA to address the important physical, mental, and emotional sensitivities tweens and teens face as they enter and make the journey through puberty. UMLA offers expert insights the puberty portal where teens and tweens can find content written by their peers to help them navigate the changes that come with this stage of life, and products including Oom um Mask and the recently launched bra, Oom um Bra.
0: We size our bras based upon one measurement and one measurement only, and that's a circumference around your breasts at the nipple line.
2: Thanks for being here.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you.
2: So we know, you know, you're busy and uh we appreciate you taking the time out but i'd like to start like as mandy indicated the books that you have out there uh the i have one sitting on my desk Mm -hmm. at uh, the office it's called the care and keeping of you i know you have the care and keeping of you number two which is for older right yeah and you have a couple of books out there even for boys
0: yeah i'll give you the origin story because it's kind of an amazing thing um the Care and Keeping of You originally came out in 1998. I did not write that book. Um, I was in my pediatric training. And when I got to my first job in 2000, literally on day one, my new partner sat me down and they said, There are three things that you never learned in your training that we're going to teach you right now how to treat lice, how to treat pink eye, and what to give girls and their mothers and fathers when they're going through puberty, The Care and Keeping of You. And this was in the year 2000. And I didn't have kids and I sort of flipped through the book and I got it, but whatever, filed it away. Over the years, I started telling people about it. People would talk about it with me. And every time the book would come up, people would say, okay, well, I'm done with that book. Can you give me something more? What's the next thing to read? And so... Long story short, I end up moving away from practicing pediatrics and I start writing parenting books and I wind up in a situation where I get to pitch American Girl writing the follow-up book, Care and Keeping of You 2, and actually going back to Care and Keeping of You 1, which by this point was about 15 years old, and updating it because it was out in 1998 before there were things like, you know, the prevalence of the internet and that has really changed the experience of growing up, right? So um, sure. that first day that I was at American Girl and I'm, you know, I'm pitching this dream job, right? Um, I say to the, to the head, the president of the company, I think there should be a boy book. And she, she looks at mm. me and she says, but, you know, this is American Girl, And I said, yeah, but this book has nothing to do with being a girl. There are about 20 pages that have to do with female body parts. This is a book about transformation. This is a book about going from being a child to being more grown up. And it's about not just the physical experience, but the emotional experience and the nutrition and the exercise and the sleep and the hygiene. And you tell me anything about that that's gendered. and." She looked at me Love like, it. okay, you should probably be quiet now because you might not get this gig. So I did. I got, <laughs> I got quiet. My editor over there and I spent five years continuously beating the drum and we did get the boy book out five years later. And if you compare the content of the two books, what you will find is there are literally 20 pages of different content, just body parts, the rest is essentially identical because this is not a gendered experience, right? This is just a human experience.
2: It is. And it's and that's such a wonderful uh, and poignant part of this is that people, they're people, they have different experiences with respect to maybe what's happening to their body, like what you talked about voice cracking and height changes and body hair and and odor and those things. But it's puberty is very visible. And it's it's something that our kids go through that's very visible. And for those people who are raising kids, you know, th- th- it doesn't they don't come with a handbook. And as parents, guardians, grandparents, wh- whoever is raising these kids, they don't have. They need refreshers, probably right, because nobody nobody in this room would raise their hand and go, "Hey, I'd like to go through puberty again." <laughs> and so. I- I
0: wouldn't- yeah, Not, that's true. Oh, In the no. world, right? And the world is so different. I think the mm-hmm. the adults who love and raise these kids today had very different experiences growing up, right? That the timeline for body changes was very different a generation ago. Truly, it was different. It's starting much earlier now. And then all of the all of the trappings of growing up have changed starting with screens and the internet but you know you can you can come up with 10 or 12 different examples of ways that the world really isn't the same and so when parents and and other adults involved in the lives of kids when those people go back and try to tell their own stories as like as a guide or a cautionary tale it it, it doesn't necessarily translate
2: yeah it's not relevant
0: right and that's one of the
2: reasons why you know we we try to do parent or guardian caretaker workshops and it's called it's basically navigating the awkward stage and and it's um you know the pathway through puberty and what we try to explain to these adults is that everybody uses puberty as a word oh you're in puberty or we talk to our youth like oh it's puberty but it's a, as you know, it's a process and there are stages, the Tanner stages and the processes and the steppings. And, um, and it takes a lot longer than most people. Think. And then not everybody's on the same time frame. Right. And so uh, we try to help parents to what are they what's going to what's coming their way. Right. And how how can they navigate that? And what can they do best for that? And I'm sure you have some great stories around that and with things that you've encountered. And we'd like to hear some of that.
0: Sure. I mean, you, first of all, you make a great point. So it takes a really, really long time to get through puberty. Um, It's not always a decade, but it's the better part of a decade because Mm -hmm. the average girl begins at eight now, sometime between eight and nine, um, average. There are girls who start sooner and there are many girls who start later. Um, And the average boy is uh, between nine and 10. And um, show me a high school junior or senior who's completely done with it it's not the typical path. And so we're looking at, right, a whole decade. And, um, and that's a really long time. I think people assume that if you start younger, it's everything's going to move faster. And that would be a <laughs> gift, right? I mean, it really, because no one, no one likes how it feels. I, when I teach in the classroom, and I know you guys have a lot of experience teaching in the classroom, but I always, I always ask the fourth grade girls, you know, the girls on the very front end, I ask them if they've ever had an experience where their emotions feel out of control. Have, whether it's like, have they been crying out of control or frankly, laughing out of control. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. sad or negative. And 100% of them raise their hand. They say, yeah. And then I say, how many of you like the way it feels? And not one hand goes up mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. feels bad. It feels... Mm-hmm. Odd to have your body taken over by a chemical and that's going to last 10 years. And so I think, right? I mean, it's crazy. And so I think when we guide the adults who are helping these kids, I think one of the best things that we can, one of the best pieces of advice we can give them is to try to move away from saying to kids, it's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. Because you're saying to a kid, Who has no idea how tall they're gonna be, how curvy they're gonna be, how hairy they're gonna be, how zitty they're gonna be. They have no idea what their path road is gonna look like, and they have no idea where they're gonna end up. The advice that it's all gonna be fine takes you from a trusted resource to not a trusted resource. You are, you are full of it if you are telling them it's all going to be A-OK. And I, I think the stories are so individual and vary so much, but ultimately that's the lowest common denominator for everyone is the kids don't want to know it's going to be OK. They just want to understand a little bit about why it's happening and when it might go away, and what they might do to make it better.
2: Right, and yeah. what they can
0: do to make it worse. And so, <laughs> yes.
1: you know, and, and,
2: and then like you said, you know, there's so much that they're up against with respect to the digital age. You know, there is no away for these kids. Like, I remember being able to get home from school and shut the door, and that was away from me. I didn't have to think about what happened at school. I didn't, I, it wasn't in my face. Yeah. I could, I could hide or I could be away, but there's no way for these kids. They get home, they get on the internet, they get on their phone, no matter how many times you tell them this, this is not healthy.
3: So there's no place for those.
2: them to, to, I don't want to use the word hide, but it essentially yeah. decompress, you know, get away from the day, get, just get off, just get off the internet, get off your phone. And they don't want to do that because the fear of missing out or the FOMO is so prevalent, right? I, I actually ask my kids
3: how how long it's been since they've been alone, like without TV, without mm. social media, just just by themselves for a little while, like maybe out in the wilderness or something. And it, it blows my mind how long it's been for most of those kids. You know, yeah. if I say, H- how many of you have been alone in a week, spent time with just yourself in the last week? Nobody.
0: Not amazing. You know, if I say it's a amazing. month, sometimes
3: I'll get hands, but they they're connected all the time. It's And
0: COVID only reinforced that, right? Because mm-hmm. COVID was so isolating and continues to be. I mean, I think we think we're through this and we're not quite through this. And so, how do you stay connected and feel like part of a community? Oh, it's on your device. Right, for sure. And so, you know, as a as a pediatrician, I will tell you that those devices were my biggest enemy until I was kind of forced to see both raising my own kids and then also watching kids live through COVID. It was really forced to see that the benefits and the downsides are really a, a mixed bag. There are big benefits, right? That connectedness is really beneficial. That connectedness is a huge downside and they don't know how to be alone, <laughs> right? So it's, yeah. it's tricky. It's a tricky time, especially with puberty and COVID um, when kids, I I live in Los Angeles and our schools here were closed for almost 15 months. Um, There was not a kid who could go to school uh, for almost 15 months. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that way in every city, but cities had a version of that. And kids went through a piece of their puberty out of sight, which you would think would actually be a great thing, right? You have a bunch of zits and no one sees them. That seems great to me, right? Um, But when they reintegrated, they didn't know what they were getting. They didn't know what to expect. And the ones who had massive transformations felt vulnerable, right? Many of them. And the ones who didn't also felt vulnerable, right? Because they didn't. And so it was an added twist to all of this
2: oh that is such an interesting point you know i I, i'm flashing through that thinking we didn't see a lot of our friends over the summer and you'd show up in your sophomore year and you go wow scott got really tall or you know somebody got breasts or you know something like that so uh, you add this to that and Mm that's that's poignant i mean that's definitely part of a shocker uh also do you feel like some of the kids were scared? You know, like I, they lost the ability to interact or they maybe feel like they forgot how to interact or I don't know mm. what I'm going for here, but do you know what I'm going with? Like, Yeah,
0: I think I do. Um, you know, I think the experience of each individual kid was, was quite individual, frankly. So there are kids who cruised, through the pandemic, and there are kids who really suffered and struggled, many who really suffered and struggled. What I think you're asking about is the social anxiety that mm-hmm. some of them faced when they were heading back into real life as opposed to online life. Um, and that is being documented in lots of studies now, showing, you know, talking about kids' re-entry into school and looking at social anxieties um, in particular. And while it didn't happen to everyone... It certainly happened to some. And it happened to adults too. Mm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was totally cool with staying home every day. I, th- I got used to it. And then life started to open up a little. And I, I felt a little of that nervousness too. Like, oh, I haven't mm-hmm. had to make small talk in a really long time. <laughs> I haven't had to and, put on pants. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, so that when you think about that, and we have these skills. And then you think about not so much the teenagers who who have mastered a lot of these skills, but the younger kids, the tweens and the younger, you know, the, the school age kids who don't have these skills. And they really, they did lose what they, what many of them had. And so this year for the kids who were in districts that were closed much of 2020 and half of 2021, the number one skill that these kids need to acquire is really that it's the socialization skill.
3: In 17 years, this is the hardest year I've ever taught ever. I mean, it's like we're having to, to re civilize kids and re teach them what it means to be in public at a school, what it means to be a student again, what it means to be around people and, and be respectful of that. I mean, it, I've, (laughs) that's i I can't even express there's so this is the most difficult year i've ever had teaching and and we're only six weeks in
2: yeah i i think didn't you indicate that apathy was pretty high
3: apathy is I've, i've i've never seen this much absenteeism this much tardies this i mean i the apathy is and and it's not even so much apathy i think it's this they got used to being home and they got used to being able to do school online and they got used to this idea that they didn't have to be in class every day to, to pass and to be able to do what they needed to do. And so they, they just feel like they don't have to do that. And a lot of the kids, because they felt so isolated when they come to school, they don't wanna to go to class. They just wanna hang out with their friends because they finally have time with their friends, but they don't have classes with their friends. And uh, right. so and they then don't come the to group, class.
0: Right, and then there's the group that really suffered with depression and anxiety. And that group, you know, and, and we know that group is, it was growing before the pandemic, but that group became massive during the pandemic. And these kids really, really have struggled. And it's a big hill for them to climb to come back to school. Mm-hmm. This is a lot for yeah, them.
3: It's, and we're seeing that in the middle schools and the high schools everywhere. I mean... You Kids know, are our, struggling to come back.
2: Uh, yes, and of course, in this topic of reproductive health, and one of the things that we always talk about are is the suicide rate, uh, attempted suicide rate, and, and then also suicide ideations. And I think that um, that is skyrocketing. And how do you think we get that back? How do you think we reel these kids back in so that they, cause it's very wonky, right? There people say, Oh, we're back in classes. And they're like, Oh, you have to quarantine. Oh, we're back in classes. And so there's not that trust of, am I going to school tomorrow or am I not? Or, you know,
0: right. Well, I, I think there are a number of things that people can do. So the first thing, and I actually learned this from my kids who are 16 and 18. Um, The best advice I got through the pandemic was from them. And it was a very simple directive, which is stop using the sentence, I understand or I get it because you don't because you did not grow up and have a pandemic and get pulled out of school for a year and a half. And I think and they said it with love. They weren't angry. They weren't. But they were one thousand percent right, and that is something that I think all parents and grandparents and coaches and teachers can uh, remove from their vocabulary because we don't we we get our experience, but we don't get their experience, and um, and I think it's okay for us to acknowledge that we don't quite understand what it is to be in the formative years, the years where every TV show and every movie that's about life in high school or life in middle school looked nothing like their life in high school or their life in middle school, right? And so I think I think that's a big piece of it. Um, I think another piece of it, and this is something that I have talked about for years, way before COVID, but is more true now than ever is we just have to talk to our kids, Mm. right? I mean, and that means we put down our devices. We connect in a really meaningful and profound and real way with our kids because they have something to say and they may not say it at first, especially if they don't trust that you really want to spend the time listening. It takes a long while to build that relationship, but you have to keep on asking and keep on checking in. And, you know, it can be a question about their friends. It can be a question about a party. It can be a question about a test. It can be a question about a class. It can be, but any prompt that you can use, or for some families, it's just sit down in the same space and be quiet and let them go, let them talk. Um, but any way to communicate with them. Helps And it really does make a difference for kids, not for kids who have uh, severe depression, but for kids who are on a cusp and have very mild depressive symptoms and are looking to connect, the people who live with them are right there to connect with. And I think it's on all of us to to do that, to prioritize that.
2: I think that's really good advice, I and maybe too. we should say it one more time for the people in the back. Uh, you know, um, it's we just can't say, oh, you think you had it tough, we had it tough, you know, we didn't, every generation has their thing, you know, and I think it's important to acknowledge that what they're doing is tough. This is rough, like, this is not fun. It It's a drag, and we're sorry, and what can we do to make this better? And, you know, like, you listening to your kids saying, you don't have any you don't have any idea. It's not it's it's not gonna get better. How do you know it's gonna get better? Do you have a crystal ball kind of thing? Yeah. So I think the honesty, the transparency is really good advice and I think that's yeah. our, our listeners will definitely appreciate that.
0: And I'll just throw in there that for anyone who has a kid who is anything short of just very mildly toe in the water, depressed, get help. Oh yeah. Like, go go get help. Talk to your school counselor, talk to your pediatrician or family doctor, talk to um, a therapist, talk to get some real help because to put your head in the sand around this one in particular um, is it, it's a really grave mistake. It's a grave parenting mistake.
2: Well, especially you know, the, the uh, metaphor that you used toe in the water, the toe in the water may be all that we see. They actually might be waist deep you know, That's and because right. uh, they're hiding everything else. So I think that it's important to take that take it really seriously. And, and you know, that kind of leads me to my next question. You know, COVID has put a lot of things on the on the back burner. And one of the things and I just read an article a couple of days ago, that one of the things that got really got pushed back, which it wouldn't be hard because it always gets pushed back anyway, is sex ed or reproductive health education. And you know, we, we've we been working with schools trying to get the curriculum in there, and we were presenting our curriculum, all this stuff, and then COVID hit. And so then we do those minimal follow-up calls like, hey, I know you're busy scrambling trying to, you know, finish out a school year, but where are we on this? And they're like, oh, we're not even thinking about this. Why would we even think about this? How do you feel about that? Because we kind of look at it as this should be the only topic taught right now uh, because I, the kids are just it's a like
0: – th- let's just stop and think about the choices that our kids are going to make as adolescents and young adults. Okay. Um, In the top 10, in the top five, tell me that sexual and reproductive health is not like one, two, and three in terms of the choices that you're concerned that they're going to make in a healthy and safe way. Right? So I I, I'm a very big believer that we got our priorities all wrong in terms of what we were trying to salvage in our educational system while we were offline. Right. High five. I mean, for sure. yeah. Yeah, I know. High five. But that being said, um, parents and caretakers of these kids, it doesn't have to be outsourced. You can do it. You can have these conversations Just because they're not happening in a school setting and they're different in a school setting with friends around, it's actually an awesome communal setting to be doing this teaching, but you can do some of the teaching and you need to do some of the teaching in your own home. And what that means is that you start opening up lines of communication that might be very uncomfortable or awkward for you and you got to find ways to do it. So maybe that means you do it not when you're staring at each other face to face over the dinner table, but instead when you're on a walk or when you're driving in a car mm-hmm. or when the lights are out so and you're saying side. good night and you're not mm-hmm. right and there's no awkwardness. If you're a parent or a caretaker who doesn't know a whole lot, you got to go do some research and get your answers. And when your kid asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, the most important sentence you can utter is, I don't know, but I'm going to (laughs) go look that up or ask someone, right? So, like, these are all things that I know you guys must say till you're blue in the face. But I think it just bears restating one more time that just because schools have taken over some of this content doesn't mean that it can't and shouldn't happen in the home. It has to happen everywhere everywhere it
2: does every day everywhere and at all, all the ages. time at all ages right and so it, it's it's like i'll use our our grandkids for i have three grandkids the oldest is female and she's you know she's just of course i'm bragging because i think my grandkids are amazing but we're you know we're talking about consent but we don't talk about consent we experience it so for instance when she was she's six now but when she was two or three or what you know pick an age and and they were over visiting and we'd say or you say hey you guys are leaving you know can i have a uh, can i have a hug goodbye and if she said no we'd say okay we're just gonna stand here and wave goodbye then and there would be a couple of times you know where you for like you might forget or if, if you know that happened and. Our daughter would go, she said no. And we'd be like, and I I know about consent, but you know, you're thinking, oh, it's so messed up. And I go, absolutely, you did. You said no. So we'll just wait from here. And she would walk down the hall to go, you know, to the garage or whatever to get in the car. And then she'd turn around, run back and give us a hug. But it's, but think about that. That wasn't a class. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk, okay, this is consent and this is what this means. We just said, She's experiencing the power that she has with the word no. That's right. You know what I mean? It's, so, it's like you were saying, parents can do this. It's very, very simple. Mm-hmm. It may not be easy, but it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You know, golf golf's a pretty simple game, <laughs> but it's not easy to do. I, I,
0: exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great example. It's very tangible for parents. And the thing I would add is... Um, When you recognize that you've done that, you can label it and that helps your kids too. So you can say later, hey, you know what you did when you didn't want to give me a hug goodbye and you said no and I said that was okay. That was really cool because that is consent, right? So now you can help them when they're really young, connect the dots between a word they're going to hear a lot and something that they're really good at already. And especially for tweens and teens who are missing some of this very important education in school. Um, and I don't know that they're going to get it this year, right? Because who knows with being sent home and, you know, sort of this hybrid uh, model at the moment, but that's an easy way for parents to do it. Like throw a label on stuff that you see that your kids are doing well. That's a good, that's really good advice. Um, Let's talk about that
2: home situation where some of these kids are at home all day, where maybe it's not the healthiest place for them to be. What is your advice on that?
0: I mean, I think it depends on the way in which the home is not a healthy environment for them. If it's that they don't have any rules and limits, and that they are ruling the roost and making bad decisions that's one conversation. If it's that they're not safe, that's a totally different conversation. Right. Um, but in terms of kids who, you know, you go to that first category where, um, parents have to work and they, they got to go and, and the world has reopened enough that they're not home right now, but a kid is sent home because there's a quarantine or there's some situation and they are home. Um, you know, it's, it can be very tricky for parents to figure out and any caretaker to figure out how to rein their kids in, um, and make sure that they are capable of not just attending school virtually. Right. But also, um, sort of living safely. And that it's, it, that's a, that is a tough one.
2: It is, it is a tough one. And, and you know, we and you know, as a pediatrician, you might see some of these things, and I know Mandy, as a teacher, has experienced that. I've experienced it even at the college level, um, and I think when we amplify that by not giving them an outlet, it, it its all the things that we've talked about. This is a really tough gig that they're going through, and we need to let them know that you know, there are, there's still resources, even though, you know, like you said, they had that connectedness early on, you said they had the connectedness through their phone or the internet, but really, in some regards, they have a huge disconnect with their safe zone, maybe.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And I, I think parents, you know, one piece of advice I always give is that whether you're the most present parent, or the least present parent, there is going to be a point at which your kid does not want to talk to you about something. And you could be, you could win parenting, and this will still happen. Okay. So if that's the case, you had better have identified a surrogate for you that's that person that a child can go to in that sticky situation. And not only had you better have identified that person and helped your child figure out who that person is going to be. But it's best to warn that person, (laughs) let them know. And I'll give you a story that I share often, because it's one of the most meaningful things that's ever happened to me in my life. One of my uh, good friends, who's a a doctor as well, um, she and her daughter sat down when her daughter was about 14 or 15. And they decided that if there was ever a question that her daughter couldn't ask Her mom, she would ask me. I was the surrogate. And then she called me and she said, I want you to know you have this job. I said, okay. And about two or three years later, she called me and she said, I have a feeling you're going to get a call about my daughter wanting to lose her virginity. And I just want to share with you what I hope you will say. You don't have to say this, but I'd like to tell you what. If she comes to me, what I will say. And she knew, she knew her daughter was not going to come to her. And she told me how to be her surrogate. And it might not have been exactly what I would have done or said for my own child, but it was what was right for her and for her child. And so I waited and I waited and I waited, nothing. And then one night, at about midnight, my phone rang. And you know, the midnight phone call, your stomach just sinks and you think something very bad happened. And she was calling me from her boyfriend's house and she was hiding in the bathroom and she said, I need to have this conversation with you right now. I'm totally safe. I just need to have this conversation with you right now. And it was one of the most amazing moments because I knew what needed to be said for her. I knew I knew her really well, but I also understood where the history was with the conversations in her own home. And so I tell parents, don't just figure out the person who's the surrogate for you, but tell them and maybe even tell them what you hope they might say. And they're entitled to disagree and they're entitled to share their own thoughts, but um but it's a really amazing position to be in as the person who gets the call as the not parent to get the call.
3: Yeah, that's really cool idea. I mean, I, I, I feel like I've been a surrogate in a lot of my nieces and nephews lives, but I like the idea of naming the surrogate and, and letting them know. I mean, that's the more information we have, the better, better we are.
2: Yes. I have been a surrogate in that regard, um, where it's, you know, My mom called me the next day and said, you know, my daughter missed a birth control pill. What do I do? You know, So I I, I told her, I said, but, you know, she can also call me. And they knew that they knew. I mean, everybody knew what I do. And so, yeah, I I think in that regard, it was I think you're right. And I think that what that you must have been honored. I mean, that sounds like just a really wonderful experience.
0: It was amazing. It was, uh, it was sort of, you know, top 10 most impactful moments that's up there for me.
2: It just gives me joy to hear that because, first of all, this sounds like an amazing person who is calling you at midnight, you know, on, on what her next move is. And wow. Yeah. You know, and knowing, knowing that you would pick up the phone at midnight and knowing it was a safe zone.
0: Yeah, really no, cool. it was like all Kudos. the stars were aligned. It was really cool. Yeah,
2: I, I want to talk about UMLA. Let's, let's talk a little bit about UMLA. Can you tell us where that name came from?
0: UMLA stands for Order of Magnitude Los Angeles. And order of magnitude comes from the concept that everyone will grow and change during puberty. They will all do it differently. They will grow by an order of magnitude, whatever is right for them. And so, and Los Angeles is where I live and it's where we manufacture and it's the home base of the company. So that's Umla. Um, And it's a company that is designed to make puberty comfy. And that's what we do. We make products and we make content to empower both tweens and teens and the adults who are helping raise them to be more comfortable through the whole process.
2: And I think you're nailing it. I went to your website. I was so impressed by, you know, the the choices that they had. Yeah. Uh you you have a teen portal there. If you don't mind, I'd like to tell our listeners the the core values you have listed on your website and and we can go through them. I want to list sure. them first, but the first one is honoring health. Then there's anti fast fashion. The next one is we do not exist for the male gaze. The next one is committed to inclusion, and uh, we produce locally and think globally. Now, I know this last one is kind of connected to the other, partnering with mothers to mothers, and we'll talk to that, talk about that in a minute. But let's go through these. Go, go through these with me because I think they're they're spot on. I, I they really resonated with me, and I'd love I'd love to hear you explain them for our listeners.
0: Oh well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, they, they just reflect who we are as a company at our core. So the first value is that we honor health and I, you know, I, I've grown up in the health industry. I take care of kids and, you know, even though I now run a company and I write and I do consulting, I still consider myself first and foremost a pediatrician. So every single decision we make at this company has health at the front of Of mind, and um, we the way we started was frankly when my daughter was entering puberty, and I got this call from Julie, who is my co-founder. I did not know Julie at the time. Julie called me and said, "Um, "Where do you get your daughter bras?" And I said, "Well, they're they're all garbage. They're all terrible, and you know they're either flimsy or they've been padded and what." So I don't get her anything. And Julie said. Uh, Well, your daughter needs a bra. That's number one. (laughs) And she said, and number two, my mother is a sewer and I couldn't find one either for my daughter. So she sewed one. Can you take a look at it and tell me if it's healthy? Which is a very interesting question. Mm -hmm. And so that began the journey. They showed up at my doorstep. Two girls, one bra. They didn't really know each other. They played for an hour and they became best friends because two girls, one bra, right? And had to share it. um, And yet all the way along, we've tried to design our products to maximize health. So we have not done studies yet. So I can't claim a health benefit but i can tell you that the way we have designed our bras is that they gently hug you so that they work to conceal the nipples which is really what girls want they just they they don't have any shame about developing breasts they will be very clear about it they are feel very empowered many of them they just don't want the eyeballs down there thank you very much they would rather have people value them for who they are than for what's growing on their chest and so we have found a way to gently compress nipples without binding and I think that's got to be healthy, but we'll see. We'll do the studies and we'll see. It's a, the a first bra that um works without having to take it off and go, ah, you know. <laughs> so that's yeah, kind of first incredible. thing
2: you get in thing you get in the house and you're like, okay. I mean,
0: right? So that yeah. feels healthy. Yeah. Um we are anti-fast fashion. What we mean by that is our products last. I mean, that's just uh, plain and simple. Um, I've been wearing our prototypes for years. I actually wear them. I'm like a big teenager. Um, and uh, and they last. And, um, and they're made from um, good materials. And we manufacture in Los Angeles. And I will tell you that we um, amped up our manufacturing during COVID. And we worked with factories that had really stellar covid protocols and protected their workers first and foremost so all of that goes to being anti-fast fashion um we do not exist for the male gaze um on our website we will never show an image of a tween or teen under 18 from the front and we don't do that because it's creepy, because it there's a voyeuristic quality to it mm-hmm. that's icky, and we don't want to be a part of that. And if you Google training bra, and then you go to an image search, you will instantly see what I mean, because every picture that's taken from the front is wrong. It just feels wrong. But that being said, I have this incredible group of, of um, interns, we call them ambassadors, And they have taught me over time, they're between 18 and 22, and they have taught me over time that while they love that we do not put pictures of girls from the front, that on social media, people who wear umbras and want to take pictures from the front, they feel empowered. They love how they look. They don't feel sexualized. They're not taking sexualized pictures. They're taking pictures for themselves. And so... It's very interesting to kind of straddle it because as the adult in the room, I feel like I don't want these kids to exist for the male gaze. But their argument back is, how about feeling fabulous about ourselves and making a choice? And what I say is, if you're over 18, then that is your choice and you can do that. And so on our site, you won't see it. And on social, some of the people who post about how comfortable these are, they will do it. And I'm learning to reconcile those two pieces, which is interesting. Well, and for them, it's consent. It's their consent, right? You got it's, it. You got it. That's right. And and the deal I make with them is, uh, this is not what I do, but the deal they may make with themselves is a little bit different. That's right. Right. Yeah. That's right. And, that, and I love that part.
2: I really, really love the, we're not here for the male gaze um, part. Yeah. The next one is really up our alley. And so- <laughs>
0: Yeah. So we are very committed to inclusion. Um, When we developed the Umbra, um, we developed it. It is a reversible garment. There's a print on one side and there's a nude solid on the other. And from the get-go, we have always had four shades of nude, which uh, were initially intended to match a whole wide range of skin tones. And that was our first step towards inclusion. Um, What's very interesting about Gen Z, what I love about Gen Z is... They could care less about matching their skin tone. So I have the palest girls getting the dark, dark brown nude, and they think it's super cool. And I've got girls with dark skin tones getting the palest nude. So it's very funny how something that we did intentionally to be inclusive for this generation that sees color very differently, it's just a color You know, it's kind of great. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I want the bronze one. Great. And they are not sort of doing what our generation does, which is matching their skin exactly. It's very, very interesting to me. Um, We are also committed to size inclusion. So what we do at Umla is we size our bras based upon one measurement and one measurement only. And that's a circumference around your breasts at the nipple line. Um, circumference, you just take a soft tape measure or even a phone charging cord, anything that's not um, stretchy and elastic, and you wrap it around. You don't pull tight. The number of inches is your umlaw size. And the reason we did that is because our youngest wearers are about seven or eight and our oldest wearers, well, we fit all the way up right now. We fit up to size 34 D or 36 B. That's our right now, our biggest size. You cannot come up with a sizing scheme that works rationally for a seven-year-old and for a 34D. It just doesn't, right? There's no small, medium, large to it. And by the way, no one wants to be small and no one wants to be large, right? There's no, <laughs> no. There's no cup for someone with no cup. Like it's just, so right. this is how we did it. And it turned out to be pretty inclusive. We are very eager to size up from here because we only go... To about a 34D or a 36B, and we are um, just—we just have to redesign a little bit in order to have just a little bit more support for um, for bigger bus, But we'll we'll get there. We like to say we're you're growing, and so are we. So that's our motto there. Oh, that's cool. It is cool, <laughs> and I
2: think also on your website you talk about—I uh, think you intimate about trans kids,
0: and uh,
2: it doesn't—it doesn't matter. Anybody who wants to wear these, go for it. Oh yeah.
0: Anyone who wants to wear a bra can wear an Umbra. Um, that's exactly right. Um, so we don't, we don't gender anything. And in fact, our, our logo is very not gendered and, and sort of everything about us, our goal is to create products for all people. Um, and it really doesn't matter, um, what your gender identity is. Our last value is that we do produce locally, but think globally. Um, we are what's called a public benefit corporation, which means we're on our way to being a B corporation. Um, and everything we do, um, is meant to be sustainable, good for the environment, good for the world. Um, and we launched, initially we launched with masks. Um, we were getting our bras into production, COVID hit, we had material, we found a really good filter to put into the masks. We designed them and we created these U um masks and we immediately did a one for one where every mask sold, there was a mask donated. And we've given um I think about seven or eight thousand masks now, um, all up and down oh. California um to get kids and adults um covered with really soft my kids call them bras for your face. They're that's really what they are. Um and then oh, um, well, they are and now we have They are. Yeah, that's what they were. Um, And now we have partnered with this wonderful organization called Mothers to Mothers. Um, They are the biggest HIV educator in Africa. They are also the biggest employer of HIV positive women in all of Africa. And they are celebrating their 20th anniversary with a campaign called She's Got the Power. And She's Got the Power is really dedicated towards educating tweens and teens about health. And what could be a better fit for us than that? Uh, Because education knows no borders and it really is what empowers you through puberty. And so we have created a She's Got the Power Umbra and um, $5 of every purchase goes straight to Mothers to Mothers um and to there she's got the power campaign that's
2: very cool very cool yeah I really, feel like I just keep saying that cuz everything you do well, is pretty cool cuz it is <laughs> i mean it's just well it's well thought out it's it it's deliberate you know it's obvious you 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 walk, you walk the walk and so no doubt you know being in the health field uh, being a pediatrician has given you this edge and we're reaping the benefits of that mm-hmm. i would i would say mm-hmm. so
0: kudos. Well, thank thank you. I'm just going to, when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to quote you and tell my kids that you said I was cool. Cause that is not a word okay. that's used <laughs> often yeah. in my house.
2: Cause, cause, <laughs> Cause we're the coolest. So when the coolest say you're the coolest, Clearly. Like, <laughs> that's where it's at. I mean, yeah, we're the exactly. measuring stick for that. I think <laughs> um, it's gotta be true. <laughs> yeah. When, on your website, you also have what's called the puberty portal. And I know you have a podcast As well, called the puberty podcast, and so which came first, the puberty portal, the podcast? Do they come at the same time? I mean, because it's it's now we're we're hitting all the all the high notes here.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, the puberty portal came first. Um, I am first and foremost uh, an educator about the body, and so there was no way we were launching a company that was health oriented without having educational content. Um, But I could as I did research for all of my books, whether it's for the American Girl books or parenting books, um, I've never really found a good searchable online resource for kids that is designed for them, right? Everything that you look up is really written for a parent, an adult, or for a lawyer, which is really annoying. (laughs) And so what we did was we brought together a group of interns And, you know, I've written a lot for kids over the years, but I didn't need to be the writer. I wanted them to be the writers and I could be the vetter. I knew, you know, what information need to be in there, but I wanted their voice. And so the puberty portal has a series of articles that are written by and for tweens and teens, everything, every category in puberty is covered. We are slowly rolling out content and it's really great. We have these meters at the top of every article that basically gauge an article based upon where you are in your knowledge. So they're not age rated, they're knowledge rated. So yeah, oh, one meter good. might say, right? So one meter might be about your your sort of emotional awareness and it's like... I have no sense of my emotions. I am deeply in touch with my emotions. And there's a little arrow along the meter. And depending upon where you are, an article may or may not be appropriate for you. We have one that's, um, if this article was a movie, it would be rated G, PG, PG PG-13, because there's content that's sophisticated and you don't want an eight-year-old reading it. But on the other hand, I'm not not putting up sexual consent content on the website. There's no way we're not putting that up. So how do you flag it for people and let them know kind of before they read it, what they're about to read? The best part of the puberty portal by far, Uh, is a section called real stories, real stories from middle school and real stories from high school and college. And we take submissions from kids and they write their stories about their experiences. It might be a puberty related, it might be more school related or a relationship and um, they don't have to put their name. It can be anonymous if they want, uh, but it really, it's really directed kid to kid so that people don't feel alone in their experiences
2: i love that i do too and see and again this circles back to um sort of a community involvement uh, not feeling isolated these kids not feeling like this is they're the only person this is happening to um we've all experienced that right where a kid will talk to us and say this is what's happening to me and and we say okay you know this is you're right on schedule or really do other people experience this i mean i have adults ask me this you know when we talk about um infertility or cryogam and 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 male fertility and these are adults and they say stuff like you know is anybody else experiencing this and and i'm thinking wow you you're an adult and you feel this isolated so again that portal is a feeling of oh i'm not i'm I'm not not the only one i'm not the only one it's kind of like when you talk to like when you're raising your kids and they do something, you think, oh, no, I, I, there's I'm a terrible I can't or, or there's that something seriously or, wrong with my kid. And then you kind of say it over coffee to a friend. and They go, oh, my kid did that, too. And it normalizes it. Right. And you say, oh,
0: that's exactly right.
2: Yeah. So uh, how exciting for. Uh, well, definitely. I mean, we'd love to put your link up on our website if you don't. If you're good with that, we please love to, do. We have resources,
0: love, you know. And submissions. We love submissions from kids all over. I mean, again, we're committed to inclusion. We want different voices from different parts of the country and kids from different backgrounds. So, you know, anyone please send in. It'd be great. We could probably
2: help you out there. We'd love to do that. And lastly, I want to hear about your puberty podcast. I I didn't have time to listen to any of this at this time, but I did read your titles and the people you've interviewed and it's really impressive. Um, So what, what prompted that?
0: Well, I mean, in order to make puberty comfortable, you got to give information to the people who are going through it and you got to give information to the people who are supporting the people going through it. And those audiences are really different. And um, we didn't want to exist for one audience. We wanted to exist for both. And so um, the Puberty Podcast is really a podcast intended for the adults who are involved in the raising of tweens and teens. There's tons of content on there that kids would want to listen to, and we actually try to make notes in the show notes about, you know, this is a great episode for kids. But we cover all the basics. So, you know, we have a periods episode. When is my daughter can get her period? We have the, the most recent episode, um, was called, uh, boners and wet dreams. And it I is all that, yeah. about, right. And, you know, it was funny because when we were titling it, we thought, well, we got to just use the language they use to get the parents comfortable with it. So there we are. And we, um, actually our producer is this wonderful guy named Brian, who's in his late twenties. And, he kindly volunteered to be interviewed by us at the end of that (laughs) podcast about his own Uh, experiences. And oh my God, it was so profound. He was amazing talking about, you know, he said, he literally said, parents, if your middle schooler is hesitating to get out of the car and he's just trying to buy a little time, I'm just telling you right now, do not kick him out of the car. Just give him a minute. And I thought, oh, that's great! Oh my God, how great is that, right? Yeah. So, um, and then we have guests, and guests who are generally pretty funny, very interesting, also very funny. I mean, we, my co-host is a woman named Vanessa Kroll Bennett, and she likes to say our podcast is where we learn about, laugh about, and yes, even cry about puberty, ours and theirs, and the the idea being, adults. You can flashback as much as you want when you listen to our podcast and then just leave it at the door, leave it there. And when you go talk to the kids, be present and listen to them, but it's not your puberty. So our podcast is for you to relive your puberty a little and to have the stories and to get the knowledge and to understand the science, but it's also so you can move beyond it and not make their moment about you. Yeah. I mean,
2: cause you know, I'm sure I mean, my kids obviously are in their thirties now and I have grandchildren, but it's so funny. It's pure joy, I kid you not. It is pure joy to watch, I know you too, yeah. to see my daughter experience things with her kids and look at me and I go, yeah, no new information here. <laughs> and she goes, you're enjoying this, aren't you? And I go, immensely, uh, immensely. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's fun watching your kids
0: raise
3: kids.
2: <laughs> Yeah, it's great. But anyway, so this has been very resourceful and incredibly interesting and you are super busy. We know and we appreciate you giving us the time to do this. Is there is there anything we missed? Is there something you'd like to throw out there that I didn't we didn't cover?
0: I just want to thank you for doing what you do. I you know, it's it takes a lot of people to raise a kid. And what you guys are doing um, is such a key piece of it. And it's not just for the kids, you're doing it for the adults too, in a really meaningful way. And, uh, you know, everyone is the beneficiary of that. So thank you. And thank you for moving the ball down the field and paving the road and making people comfortable with all of this content and for fighting the good fight and getting it into schools and getting it back into schools um, and keep doing that because we, our kids deserve it. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, really, what do we want for our kids? We want them to be happy. And what do we mean by that? Well, one big piece of that is having a happy, healthy relationship and it's a sexual relationship. And, they're not going to learn by osmosis. And so what you're doing is so big and profound and and excellent and undervalued. And I just really appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Well, thank, thank you, you, you for that.
2: I, I'll <laughs> tell you what, I'm going to call you up when I'm having one of those days where I'm going to throw in the towel today.
0: <laughs> just that was a really episode. good shot in the
2: arm. I really appreciated that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> thank you, guys. It was great to speak with you. You ah. too. Bye. Bye-bye.
3: I said that was so cool so many times i don't know other words to say right now but um she's she's awesome she 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 does so many really neat things and like you said all her stuff is so well thought out and just um yeah i i'm i was very impressed i
2: it's so sincere yeah you know coming from her background of being a pediatrician and then living that seeing that and then going we can do better mm-hmm. or, and so let's do better and then of course having kids is always an eye-opener yeah but um, that way for sure yeah but i think she's pretty cool i think she should definitely tell her teenage kiddos that and i think she's earned <laughs> it but yeah I, I if you haven't i encourage our listeners yeah. to go to their website yeah, and i checked so, it
3: out and i yeah i was really impressed too it's 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 got all the things you'd want it to have and it does her yeah. products are great
2: yeah so it's umla Uh, That's O-O-M-L-A. And give it a look. I think your kids will enjoy it. Or you will. You will. Yeah. Yeah.
3: This podcast was created to promote Look Both Ways in the textbook written by Dr. Cairo. Look Both Ways is a nonprofit organization based in Loveland, Colorado, with a mission to educate our youth about their reproductive health to make informed decisions for their future. We do this by educating the educators through professional development, and we also put on free conferences for both teens and parents of teens. Textbooks used at schools are donated by Look Both Ways to eliminate the money obstacle for schools interested in piloting or adopting our curriculum and textbook. As a nonprofit, we're always fundraising and accepting donations. For more information about Look Both Ways, our fundraising efforts, getting a textbook donated to you, or to make a donation, please visit lookbothways.us. That's L-O-O-K-B-O-T-H-W-A-Y-S dot U-S. This podcast was produced by Peach Islander Productions in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is Mandy Johnson. And Dr. B.
2: Wishing you well. Be sure and catch all our episodes of It's Not Human Sexuality on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.